I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Dave Caprera, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion David Caprera about the dangers of discussing bridge while driving and his two strikes policy when it comes to cheating. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you? Jocelyn, I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. I had a very peculiar thing happen last night when I was playing online. Um, you know, I like to pre-alert what I play with a particular partner. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. I went to pre-alert and I thought that I had cut so that I could paste the proper pre-alert. But in fact, what was saved in my cut and paste system was something that I had been working on in my job. <laughs> it was a comment on a contract. <laughs> Please redo the document accordingly and include all relevant language from addendum two, including re-subsidiaries, platform IDs, billings to customers, discrepancies, termination, and currency. And without missing a beat, one of the opponents wrote, yes, ma'am, <laughs> in the chat. I was like, oops, cut and paste snafu. What I meant was two over one upside down count and attitude. <laughs> 
So that was that I thought was was worthy of a of a little kibitz session with with you. Oh, that's hilarious. I love that. Well, I have a not unrelated story to share with you this week. Though the outcome was slightly less wishy. Um, you know, you're chatting away with your partner privately and sometimes as you did you pre-alert the table and people can get confused about when they're writing privately and when they're writing to the table or when they're writing to the lobby (laughs) we had been playing with these people who were just hugely annoying it was more on that the claiming theme you know my partner claimed and they didn't understand and then they did this and they called the director and it was the whole thing and I could tell he was getting frustrated and he starts writing to me, WTF, blah, 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 blah. But he wrote it in the table and not in private. So, of course, because these people were well on a roll, they called the director too sweet. We got slapped with a zero tolerance <gasps> warning. It's the first one I've ever had. Can you believe it? I can believe it's the first one that you've ever had, but I think <laughs> it's a pretty funny story. It's like the terrible when you do a reply all Yes. Instead of just a reply to one person and you say something maybe not so nice yeah, yeah, about yeah. someone who's in the reply all. I mean, yeah. that's my worst nightmare. Awful. I actually have my settings on Outlook set up so that there's a delay on my oh. email of two minutes <laughs> because <laughs> I'm terrified of doing something like that. So I don't know if you can do that with your chats, but uh, I don't think so. But it is sort of funny. That's a great that, idea. You know, Maybe we yeah. should recommend it to some of the online platforms. <laughs> <laughs> Did you mean to send this to the table? <laughs> oh, gosh, it was terrible. People write all sorts of crazy stuff there. I, I'm always um, making a note of things people have written. Someone wrote the other day, I've been working in the garage, which just amused me. <laughs> and then there was another one, the loonies are out tonight, all cap, which entertained <laughs> me. And then the one I liked the best this week was, I've never done that before, but does it make sense? <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not, but we love the creative um, urge. <laughs> love the creative urge. To to come up with new things. It's so <laughs> funny. I know you you love looking at the lobby and all the all the hullabaloo that goes on. And I I would love to be watching that with you, but I just feared that I would be so distracted and I would make even more mistakes. Jocelyn we've had a letter from Jill in the Chicago area who writes to us about making sure that you're careful who you're addressing between rounds (laughs) we know (laughs) yes I'm guilty of not always noticing if I'm talking to the table or to my partner though I do try to make the switch even today playing a pickup game with a new partner we discussed our playing preferences without realizing that we were speaking to the table Well, we've seen worse violations. Jill, I wouldn't worry too much about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Did the director get called? (laughs) At the end of one round recently, I was telling my partner about a hawk that had just flown down and scared away all of the birds on our terrace. And she answered, well, I guess it's survival of the fittest. Her message was to the table, though mine had been private. (laughs) The opponents thought she was throwing a backhanded insult and said something like, we can't always be as good as you. So I had to explain that she was reacting to my private comment about birds. Then she says, I wonder if other people have similar stories. I'm enjoying listening. Thanks for your podcast. (laughs) 
Yeah, it would be great to hear about fun snafus. <laughs> I find these stories hilarious. And so if anybody has any more fun stories about things said in the chat or to the lobby or to the table, unintended audiences, please send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or via Instagram at sorrypartnerpodcast, or you can leave us a voice message. And these links and a link to our merch store are under the episode descriptions in your app or on the website or wherever you like to listen. Coming up next, our interview with David Caprera. So Jocelyn, a lot of podcasts would probably have some kind of endorsement or advertising at this spot. Yes, but not us. Not us, not us. <laughs> but we'd love to have some support because it's the two of us toiling away in the dark caves of our office, bringing this merriment to you week after week. <laughs> We've had some great letters from people and we know people are enjoying the show, but really it would be so helpful if people could donate. So how do people become part of the team? Well, the best way is through our Patreon page. It's really easy. If you Google Sorry Partner Podcast Patreon, and that's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, you will find the link or you can find the link in our show notes. And where are the show notes? So the show notes are the details about the episode. If you are listening on your phone or your tablet, Mm -hmm. or in an app, you just click on the episode and you scroll down and you see more information about the show as well as the links, including the support this show. Fantastic. So we hope to hear from you and then we'll be able to say support for Sorry Partner comes from listeners like you. Yes, that would be wonderful. American champion David Caprera is passionate about developing Junior Bridge. He is a member of the United States Bridge Federation Junior Committee and has been a coach, mentor, and non-playing captain for several USBF junior teams. He is also an author. All profits from his book, Sleeping on the Couch, go to the USBF Junior Program. He serves on the ACBL Online Cheating Committee and acts as the District 17 Disciplinary Chair. His bridge highlights include winning the 2020 North American Open Pairs. We began by discussing his all-time favorite hand. This goes back many years, 20 perhaps. I was playing with my wife, Anne, and I picked up the following hand. Singleton, five small, king doubleton, and ace king fifth. One five two five with the king of diamonds and ace king of clubs. Annie opened a diamond. I bid a heart. Annie bid a spade. And now this hand that started out looking pretty good has kind of not so clear where we're going with this. It sounds like we've got a bad misfit. I only have 10 high card points. We tend to open aggressively. I rebid one no trump. Two clubs by us in this sequence would have been game forcing. I obviously don't have the values for that. And two no trump, while it would have been invitational, I don't really have those values. And furthermore, the misfit just isn't going to play very well. So I bid a no trump 
And now Annie made a surprising bid in the context. She bid two clubs. All of a sudden, this hand that started out as being kind of a rosebud, then turned into a flower that died on the vine, is now a big blooming rose. And my hand has become huge. Partner must be 4054 or 4144. In either event, I have nothing wasted in hearts. My ace king of clubs and my king of diamonds have definitely grown up. And the question is, what do you bid? And I thought about this a bit, and I'd seen hands like this before. So I emerged with a call that's referred to as a bloomer. There was a fine American player by the name of Lou Bloom, and he was known for these sorts of bids. I bid three hearts. Now, in my way of thinking, it would be impossible for partner to pass three hearts. When anybody ever says it would be impossible for partner to do that, you can guess what is coming next. <laughs> and so we played in three hearts and it was not much of a success. I don't think Annie would pass three hearts these days, but as I say, this was a number of years ago. After the session was over, and I think rumors of us playing in our 5-1 heart fit when we had missed game had spread around a little bit. I saw my good friend standing there, Mike Purcell. Mike is one of the top American bridge pros. And I went to Mike and I said, Mike, uh, you pick up and the auction goes, what do you bid? And Mike is a very funny person and very quick. Without losing a beat, he said, well, I don't bid three hearts because <laughs> if I do, I'll end up sleeping on the couch. <laughs> and I believe that that's the title of your book. Am I correct? It is. Uh, I, for five years, wrote a monthly column in the western, the western part of the United States has a newsletter that goes out. Uh, and I had a monthly column in it entitled Sleeping on the Couch, The Adventures of Dave Playing with His Wife Anne. And the gist of it was every month I would screw up in one way or the other, and I would end up initially sleeping on the couch and then in the garage and then in the stables and wherever else. I mean, it was a, it was a one joke, but I put them all together and it was published by Masterpoint Press. And I urge you to buy it for the simple reason that all of the profits go to the U.S. Junior Program, uh, which if we don't support our juniors, the game's going to die when we do. So uh, I urge you to do that. You're a big supporter of the U.S. Junior Program. Can you tell us a bit about your activities on their behalf? Sure. I started as a coach and a mentor back in 2013, I think. And I have been a non-playing captain for a number of the U.S. junior teams in the world championships. I'm also a member of the junior committee. And because of my interest and involvement in the junior program, I served two terms on the board of directors of the U.S. Bridge Federation as the junior liaison. And why is this so important to you, Dave? I love bridge. I love teaching smart kids 
I enjoy competition. I'm a 68-year-old who hasn't grown up yet. I feel I'm part of the team when I'm there with these 20-something kids. It's been very rewarding for me. Obviously, juniors are the future of the game. If I'm 68 years old and I'm under the average age of membership, well, that doesn't toll well for the future of the game. So in order to preserve this game that we love, I love, I think we need to grow the program that the younger, you know, with the younger ages. And what do you think the average player could be doing to be bringing in more players and younger players? Every one of you has a son, a daughter, a niece, a nephew, a neighbor. The problem with Junior Bridge is that unless you have a nucleus of juniors, it's very difficult to get more juniors involved. I have two children. They're now 29 and 31. They're not children, but as they were growing up, Annie and I tried to introduce them to the game. and. They learned the basics of the game, but when we took them to a to a tournament or whatever, they were the only kids there. Mm-hmm. And to quote my son, bridge is a game for old people. <laughs> so I think we need to bring younger people into the fold. And if you get that nucleus of younger people, I think the, the game is a great game. It, it, it will grow. How did you learn to play bridge? Ah, I learned in college. I belonged to a, a club, like like a fraternity, and they played bridge, and I didn't know what bridge was, but I watched, and I joined, and it was the worst bridge you could possibly ever imagine. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yes. Uh, I can imagine. We learned the difference between one club, a club, and club. One was short, one was forcing, one was natural. I don't remember. I mean, there was absolutely nothing uh, that was good about this game other than it was with 52 cards and we had a lot of fun with it. In my senior year, I met a student who had, I think, 20 master points and he became my mentor. He knew (laughs) everything. (laughs) He knew Stamen. Stamen, yes. <laughs> Gerber, you know, all those all those great conventions. And I was constantly bugging him because I would be playing at the club at the night and I'd come back and say, you know, you hold. And I would have to write it down because back then I couldn't remember 13 cards. And he would give me his advice. And that was absolutely fabulous. I graduated. I went off to uh, graduate school and law school in Chicago, and I uh, hooked up with a number of younger players who were more experienced players, and I learned how to play. It was probably three years later, and I probably I, I was probably a life master by then. Maybe I had three or 400 master points. I got a phone call from this kid that had taught me how to play senior year. He had moved to Chicago and he called to say, would I be interested in playing bridge with him? And I remember telling Annie, this is great. This guy knows everything. He's fabulous. (laughs) So we agreed to meet and play. And 
he still had 20 master points. <laughs> and he was god-awful. He was just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but it got me involved in the game. So from there, I learned, uh, I learned about bridge books. Uh, the first bridge book I ever read was Clyde Love's book on squeezes. That was your first book that you read? <laughs> yes, that was the first bridge book I read. And no, I had no reason to understand this book in any way whatsoever. I would go through the play of each hand in the book. And because I couldn't remember what cards had been played, I crossed them out with a pencil, going from upper left to lower right. The second time I went through the book, I crossed them out going from upper right to lower left. And the third time I reviewed some of those hands, I've circled it. I think the book probably set my bridge education back about six months. If I had a hand that had 10 cold tricks, I would duck four tricks to rectify the count <laughs> and see if I could make nine, you know? I, you're, you're laughing. I'm telling you this is the truth. One year, it was either birthday or Christmas, Annie got me a deck of playing cards with Squeeze Caprera written on the back of them. <laughs> Not after that. I think my second or third book was probably Adventures in Card Play. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I had no clue. I now have a library of several hundred bridge books, and I've read all the classics, and it's just my education went in, in a bad order. Well, Dave, we might get you to send us a list of your, your top five bridge books, and we'll post that on Instagram. Sure. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay. Do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play? One part of bridge I really love is playing against the best competition I can find. So Annie and I played a regional some years ago in a casino that was at best second class. It was not a nice place to play. However, over the course of the week, Annie and I played, I believe, 96 boards against Jeff Mextroth and Eric Rodwell. <laughs> not bad. Did we win them all? No. Did we lose them all? No. But the idea that we got to play against Mechwell for the entire week, which was basically what we were doing, would make that a memorable tournament for me. Annie and I like to travel. We've been to Australia to play bridge twice. We've played the uh, the Knot in Canberra, and we played the Gold Coast. And in Australia, they have a, a, an interesting it's a custom. If you are not from Australia, on the first night, they have a cocktail party for internationalists. That doesn't mean you're a world-class player. It just means you didn't come from Australia. But we very much enjoyed both of those tournaments. They were very friendly and whatever. However, my favorite tournament is Beer Ritz. We have friends from Austria, Jovi and Sasha. Jovi's this energizer buddy. Uh, Sasha is more subdued, but he has a wicked sense of humor. And we went to the Festival of Biritz, which is played in a palace overlooking the water. The competition was quite good. Some of the Italians was, were there. Most of the fine French players, Mouton, Bessis, Zia was there. Some of the English were there. We rented an apartment about 100 yards from the playing area. And this was your typical European town. Every morning, Sasha and I would go to the open market and we'd choose our produce for the day, the fresh uh, vegetables, the very fresh fish, you're on the ocean, and two bottles of wine. And we'd bring them back to the apartment. Uh, Sasha's a fine cook. And we would play the afternoon. Then we'd come back and Sasha would make us this great dinner and we'd drink two bottles of wine. They have a team game there. And unlike the ACBL that pays master points, the prize money was in cash. And we were very lucky to win the tournament. Another, another thing that will make it one of your favorite tournaments. And I forget <laughs> what it was. It was something like 1,500 euros and it paid the rent for the week. Nice. That, that, that kind of made it a nice tournament. Uh, and I would certainly like to go back there. Beautiful tournament. Sounds lovely. That one comes up, I would say, comes up <laughs> a lot. We keep hearing about beer. At, I want to go. <laughs> What's the biggest schlamozzle you've ever made at the table? I'm afraid you're going to have to tell me what a schlamozzle is. It's Yiddish for a mistake or a muck up, really. What's the biggest mess that you've ever made? Annie and I were playing a regional Swiss team in Florida against two of the best American players 
David Berkowitz and Alan Sontag. The four of us sat in the wrong direction and ended up with a zero-zero tie. (laughs) What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you at the table? Okay. It was the first time that I had played bridge in France. The French playing cards are not like the American cards. Two through ten are the same. But instead of a king, queen, and jack, they have the wa, the dom, and valet. And they are R, D, and V. But they have the pictures of the, the king, the queen, and the jack. So it's not too difficult to look at those and not get those confused. The ace, on the other hand, is just the number one. So we sit down to play in a club. I think it was in Avignon. I pick up a hand and I look at it. And I have no face cards. There's nothing very interesting about this. Yeah, you know where the story's going. (laughs) But you didn't know it was going to be an international incident. (laughs) So I pick up this hand and I've got nothing. Annie opens a heart. It goes pass. I say pass. The hand on my left bids two clubs. And Annie bids two hearts. And it goes pass. I still have nothing. I say pass. And the hand on my left, after thinking a bit, bids three clubs. He doesn't want to sell to two hearts. And it goes pass, pass, back to me. And I look at my hand and I realize that I have two ones. (laughs) And I have a bunch of clubs and I don't have many hearts. So I said double and it went pass, pass, pass. And the guy went for his life. After the hand was over, he took and looked at my hand. And he started yelling at me in French, which wasn't very effective because I don't understand (laughs) French. But the gist of it was, you're not allowed to bid that way. And I tried as best as I could to (laughs) explain to him that I didn't realize I had two aces until the third (laughs) round of bidding. And this became somewhat cacophonous until the director came over and got things sorted out. It wasn't funny at the time, I'll tell you. (laughs) But now I look back on it and and I think it's a... It's a funny story, again, because I just was being stupid. (laughs) And what's the funniest thing that's bridge-related that's happened to you, but not at the table? I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I've been more spectacular than others. Annie has a rule that does not allow me to talk about bridge when I am driving a car. <laughs> That's a good rule. That's a very important rule. In both of these examples, Annie was not in the car. In the first one, I had driven from Denver, Colorado, up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, about 100 miles on the interstate, with my friend Ernie to play in the, the local sectional. We had finished, and Cheyenne is on the junction of I 80 and I 25. And the tournament was right there. Our last board, we bid to six clubs. I had been a little optimistic in bidding up to six clubs. When I tabled dummy, Ernie went nuts. How can you bid like this? You don't have enough points, whatever it was. He then proceeded to go down in six clubs that he could have made, which stimulated me into this discussion about how can you play six clubs like this? Well, the session was over and we were going back to Denver and we're fighting in the parking lot and we get in the car and we're fighting in the car and I get on the interstate and we're driving on the interstate 
And I think about an hour into our drive, I see the sign, Welcome to Nebraska. I had taken (laughs) I-80 rather than I-25, and I had to drive back to Cheyenne and back down. But that wasn't the bad one. That wasn't the bad one. The bad one was some years ago when I played Gatlinburg with Jeff Goldsmith. And we had finished on Sunday, and Jeff and I were both flying out of Knoxville. Someone had told us that there was a car rally in Pigeon Forge. It's faster to go through the park. Uh, That would be a Great Smoky National Park. So, armed with our little map, we get on the road and we're driving through the park and we're talking about bridge. And Jeff and I, if the two of us got together, that was going to be the topic of conversation. After about two hours of driving and not seeing anything that remotely looks like we're getting close to Knoxville, we pull into a gas station. And I remember asking the guy, how do you get to Knoxville? And this is one of the people who worked in the gas station. And he turns to one of his coworkers and says, Joe, do you know how to get to Knoxville? (laughs) We were closer to Atlanta than we were to Knoxville and even considered driving to Atlanta to fly out. (laughs) But I was stuck with a rental car. And so we ended up getting back to Knoxville late that night and flying out the next morning. (laughs) That's great. So the, the rule is not just when your wife is in the car, but just period. Well, yeah, she won't let me. So if she were in the car, I mean, that, she's, the, she's the, the safety mechanism, the Band-Aid. When she's in the car, <laughs> if someone else is in the car and I happen to say you pick up Ace King Fifth, she'll say no. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you are quite concerned about ethics and cheating in bridge. Well, I don't think you can be a serious bridge player and not have concerns about ethics and cheating. There's always been some element of cheating, whether it's someone leaning over and looking at the hand to their left or their right, those sorts of things. But the problem really exacerbated itself in the early days, and I'll call 2020, uh, 2021, the, the days when Bridge Online was growing up, I think it became obvious that there was a lot of cheating. I've been my district's disciplinary chair for, I don't even know how long, 20 years. I'm on the ACBL Online Ethical Oversight Committee, where we've had a number of trials, hearings. I think things have improved considerably both in terms of the enforcement once we catch somebody and the development of how you catch someone. But it is a real problem. It damages the game in so many ways. Why do you think people cheat? And I can imagine that different people cheat for different reasons. I'm just curious, why do you think people cheat? Okay. Based on my experiences, I can say that I dealt with one matter with a world-class player who was playing on a world-class team. And while I don't know 
the exact financial arrangements, I'm reasonably certain that either the amount of his compensation or his bonus was tied to how successful he was. That one, I think you can understand. Uh, Several people have said that they cheated just because they were being lazy or they had to take care of their kids uh, while their wife was out and they sat on the sofa and they self-kibitzed. Not a good reason. But I think when you strip it all away, most of the people who are cheating are doing it for ego and they're fooling themselves when they do it. And they have to know they're doing something wrong. My own views on enforcement, for the most part, is I'll give anybody one bite of the apple. That's to say, if I'm the adjudicator and I determine they've been cheating, I'm not going to throw them out for life. I will not give someone a second bite. If you cheat, you get caught, you get suspended for six months, whatever, you come back and you cheat again. I have no room for forgiveness. I mean, it, it ruins the game for everyone. It does. And it also, I mean, when you get to the to the question of top-level play, you're talking about not only was this professional going to be compensated if he did well, but the guy he cheated was going to get an extra payday if he'd won, and he deserved to win, but he didn't. I mean, he was he was cheated both out of the trophy and out of perhaps a large sum of money. Do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you like to play? Sure. I mean, I guess I have a lot of gadgets, but if I had to think of something that is my favorite, I'm probably biased by the fact that I invented it. I mean, it's not (laughs) anything that renowned, but because I came up with it, I probably like it more than if somebody else came up with it. So let's see if I can describe it to you. You pick up a balanced 26 count, 26 high card points, and you open two clubs and partner bids two diamonds and you look around and you say, how do I show a hand this big? And in old fashioned standard, the bid would be three no trump. And that takes up a lot of room. So I think it's credited to Eric Kokish, who said, well, I've got an idea. We'll bid two clubs, two diamonds, two hearts, and two hearts will either be a big hand with hearts or a big no trump. And partner, in most cases, bids two spades. And then the opener clarifies two no trump, game forcing with a big no trump, or they can bid three hearts if they just have hearts. If they have hearts and a second suit, the original formulation was to bid the second suit. And by an inference, they have five hearts and four of the second suit. So if they have five hearts and four diamonds and a big hand, it goes two clubs, two diamonds, two hearts, two spades, three diamonds. And that says I have four diamonds and five hearts. If they have four spades and five hearts in the original Kokish convention, which, by the way, he called birthright and everyone else in the world calls it Kokish, and I don't know why. If he had four spades, it would go two clubs, two diamonds, two hearts, two spades, three spades. And now you've burnt through the entire three level and you haven't found a fit yet and you haven't really described either hand with much accuracy. So now I've even traced this back a little bit. I believe going back to about 2005, Marcelo Branco is responsible for having realized 
hey, I know what I can do. I can flip the three club bid and the three heart bid so that if I just have hearts, I can bid two clubs, two diamonds, two hearts, two spades, three clubs, and that just shows hearts. And if I have clubs, I can bid two clubs, two diamonds, two hearts, two spades, three hearts showing clubs. Fair enough. It left spades and diamonds to still be natural. There is a concept in bidding theory that comes up in a number of different places that is called game-ordered bidding. And game-ordered bidding is just simply you bid the steps in the order in which game contracts are reached. In other words, four hearts, four spades, five clubs, five diamonds. My idea, not very great in any way, was to say, well, if you're going to play that three clubs shows hearts, then it seems pretty easy to play that three diamonds shows spades, and then three hearts shows clubs, and three spades shows diamonds. And the value there is that you preserve the same amount of bidding room between your bid and the game contract. There's one more because no Trump gets in the way, but basically it gives you the ability to make a second negative, to make a couple of different raises in all four suits. So it seems so clear to me that this is the correct way to play. I'm amazed that even though my article ran in the bridge world, I don't know, 10 years ago, I've not run into anyone who has ever played my convention. By the way, I renamed the convention S-I-K-K-O-H, which you can pronounce either psycho or sicko, but (laughs) obviously what it is is it's uh, scrambling the letters of, of Kokish. So that would be my favorite convention. And to anticipate, and my least favorite convention is Kokish as originally developed because <laughs> it just strikes me as being wrong. So, <laughs> Dave, what's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? My bridge hero is Bob Hammond. So, the best advice is listen to what Bob Hammond says. One piece of advice that Bob has given is that in a competitive auction, it's important to show your long suits. You've got to get your suits out there so that when the opponents are bidding theirs, you're bidding yours. If you have a fit, they have a fit. If they have a double fit, you find your double fit. Otherwise, you're going to lose terribly in competitive auctions. David, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a delight to talk to you. It was terrific. Thanks so much. I have enjoyed this immensely. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, David Caprera. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Thank you also to our friend, Larry Cohen. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app on the website at sorrypartner.com or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. 
May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as David says, it's important to show your long suits. Otherwise, you're going to do terribly in competitive auctions. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.